0: the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 through 5 and 23 to 28. If you're using the Pew Bibles, it's on page 828 and 829. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe what they tell you, but do not what they do for they preach but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These ought... These you ought to have done without neglecting others, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of a cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Today's topic might be just, again, it's a hard question, and it might be a tough topic for us to listen to because it's hypocrisy, right? It's a topic, though, as hard as it may be, it's a topic that Jesus himself talked about. And actually, he talked about this topic quite a lot. And so, you know, as followers of Jesus, it's a good idea that we, if Jesus talked about it, we should learn about it. Amen. Right. So, wow, that was very enthusiastic. Um, I'm sh- I-, I can tell you're very excited about listening about hypocrisy. Um, so, you know, as we talk about hypocrisy, I thought it kind of, I don't know, strange that this topic got assigned to me. Um, (laughs) I don't know if I'm supposed to take that personally or what. um, But hey, you know what? It's okay because I know I'm I'm a hypocrite. I'm not going to pretend that uh, I haven't been guilty of hypocrisy in my life. Um, I admit it. Um, I'm not proud about it. I don't boast about it. But you got to be honest about it. I have been guilty of hypocrisy in my life. So this is not news to me. Um, if it is to you, I apologize. Now I'm off the pedestal. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, so let me ask you guys a question. Um, since I'm so well qualified to talk about this topic, um, who else here is guilty of hypocrisy? Just kind of show hands here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. So that's good. We're, we're an honest church. Um, we're a church full of hypocrites. That's, that's great. Uh, But, hey, at least we're honest about it. Um, Not that we should just stop there at being honest about it, but admission is a start, right? Um, Now, those of you, I want to talk to you, those of you who who didn't raise your hands, um, I may be wrong here, but I think you just told a little fib, and, you know, God says, don't lie, so uh, you've just committed your first act of hypocrisy, um, congratulations, join the club, um, it's, it's, it's a crowded boat here, so don't worry about it, okay? Um, in all seriousness, uh, you know, hypocrisy, it is a very serious, grave um, problem, not just a topic, it's a grave problem. And so we need to address it, and it's a big topic, as you might imagine, so hopefully today's message you know, in the time that I'm given, we're just going to talk about some of the, the major things, and hopefully after today, it'll just, it, you know, this message will spark some conversations for you on the car ride home, at dinner tonight, during the week, with your friends, your family, um, and hey, even, maybe even with God, a conversation with God about this topic, and uh, maybe about your life. So, let's break it down here. Um, Let's throw up that that, uh, Matthew 23, verse uh, 1 through 5, and we'll just kind of go down um, the passage there. Now, have you guys ever heard of this saying, um, do as I say, not as I do? You ever hear hear that? Well, the source of that saying might very well come from today's passage. Um, So if you look at verse 1, three and four, right, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he's talking to just a bunch of people as Jesus often did, because he was such an amazing teacher. He attracted a lot of crowds. The scribes and the Pharisees, who are the leaders of the Jewish um, uh, community, they sit on Moses' seat. In other words, they have the authority of the greatest prophet Moses, who of course is you know, long dead. But the scribes and the Pharisees, now they kind of take Moses' place as the authority that uh, the people are supposed to listen to. And Jesus says about the scribes and Pharisees, the leaders, practice and observe whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do. Like, whoa, Jesus went straight for the throat there. Straight for the throat, he says, see your leaders? And he's, he's gonna talk to the leaders a little bit, but right now he's talking to the people. See your leaders over there? Do what they tell you to do, but don't do what they do themselves. And then if, as if, you know, that wasn't clear enough, for they preach, but do not practice. They say, this is what is right. This is what we believe. And so this is what you should do. But they don't practice it. (laughs) Wow. That's a splash of cold water, right? And so it goes on. Next one. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders. Uh, what, what are they talking about there? It's just basically um, all the laws that the scribes and the Pharisees, they get together and they, they decide which laws you need to follow and how you need to follow it. So then they come up with this thing and they say, okay, people, this is what you're supposed to do. So they lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves don't do it, right? Like Jesus was saying, they themselves are not even willing to move a single finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. As leaders, they just want to look like leaders, not act like leaders. So they make their phylacteries broad and fringes long. What is a phylactery? Some of you might think, is that like a body part? Do I have a phylactery? Am I okay with my phylactery? A phylactery is actually a little tiny box uh, made of leather or something. um, this is actually some, a practice uh, of the Jewish leaders um, where they would, it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 11, if you want to look, and you'd put a little scripture or something because in Deuteronomy 11 it says, bind God's law as a sign upon your arm and between your eyes. So literally this is what the leaders would do. They would take a little scripture, put it on the box and put it between their eyes and tie one to their arm. Why did they do this? To show outwardly, we're observing. We're law-abiding Jews. We're obeying our religion. We're doing what we say we do. But, of course, Jesus has just exposed them saying, no, you don't. You just pretend. You just have the phylacteries here, but not in here. So it goes on. Next. There we go. So we go to verse 23. Um, These are kind of the highlights that I want to look at. You guys can look at uh, chapter 23 later on. It's worth reading, of course. Woe to you. Woe to you is basically an old word for, oh, man, I feel sorry for you. You better watch out. That's basically what woe to you means. Um, You scribes, leaders, you hypocrites, again, very clear. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What is he saying? He's saying that part of the law was you tithe everything that you do. And so what he was saying, kind of as an exaggeration, but actually some of these people were probably doing this, they would tithe, they would be so like stuck on the little minute details like, oh, I grew, and you know, if you know anything about mint, dill, and cumin, it's a very small plant. So they they are careful to tithe, give, which is an old uh, practice of, um, giving a tenth of what, you know, your your farms produce, your crops, your animals, uh, currency, whatever it is back then. Um, and you give a tenth of that to, to God as an offering. But they do it, you know, with the mint and the dill and the cumin, like little small things. But Jesus is accusing them. He's saying, to, uh, pointing out to them, but what about the bigger things? What about, like, love? What about, like, justice? What about mercy? What about the big things? You guys are so stuck on the little things, you, you don't even care about the big things. You're getting it totally backwards, Jesus is saying. So you, do, you, you should do the little things. Jesus is not saying don't tithe. Jesus is not saying don't be um, so you know, devoted and loving towards the Lord that it doesn't um, you know, saturate every detail of your life. He's not saying don't do that. See, so he says these you should do but also not neglect the others, the big things. Don't neglect the big things. Don't neglect the small things. Why do you pick and choose which ones you're going to do and which ones you're going to not do, right? Next verse. You blind guides, talking about the scribes and Pharisees, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you! Hypocrites, you clean the outside of the cup and, a, and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What is this talking about? You can go back. The, yeah, thank you. Gnat, camel. Well, uh, back then, you know, they had a lot of flies and gnats around, and they would, uh, you know, have their drinks or wine or whatever. And what they would do to keep the flies and the, the gnats from getting into their drink is they would strain it. They literally strain it. So... Um, I don't know if they did this before they served it because, you know, you probably, if, you know, at a restaurant, if you knew that there, were, there was a fly or a gnat in your drink, you probably wouldn't want to drink it even if it had been strained. But they would strain it out, right? And, and then present you with, like, you know, this clean cut. But he, Jesus is saying, you are so careful to do that, to worry about a little gnat, but you swallow the camel. Now, what's, what's that mean? A camel was ceremonially unclean. A camel in their eyes, in their law, was an unclean animal. And so for them to even touch um, an unclean animal or be touched by an unclean animal, they'd have to go through this elaborate ritual to become clean again. So not only was it this uh, spiritual thing for them, but also just practically like, oh my gosh, now I have to do this whole ritual. And so they, they did not want to be anywhere near you know touching or but Jesus is saying, not only did you touch it or sm- smell it, you actually swallowed the camel. You you actually swallowed it. So you worry about the little the little gnats. You nitpick about that, or in this case, gnat uh, gnat picking, right? But you you just you, but you go ahead and swallow these, this unclean giant animal. This uncleanness, the symbol of uncleanness, and that's what he's talking about. the Greed, you're f- full of greed and self indulgence. So what is self indulgence? Self indulgence is when you just Allow yourself to freely satisfy all of your fleshly desires, right? Whatever fleshly desire comes along, you just, like, give yourself to it, right? That's when we are self-indulgent. That's what the scribes and Pharisees were doing. They are inside, they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Even though on the outside, they got their phylacteries, they look so proper, they look like they got it all together. Next. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you! Hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. I think the imagery there is, is again, pretty self-explanatory. Outside, so clean, whitewashed. Uh, again, it has this idea of cleanness. The reason that they would whitewash the tombs is because people would sometimes, if they weren't washed, they would pr- accidentally step on it or be too close to it, making them, again, what? Ceremonial, unclean, and then the whole process, right? And they, they don't want to do that. They don't want to be unclean. And so you would whitewash these tombs. But as you know, the outside of the tomb might be clean and white. But what's on the inside? The stench of death, right? Rotten flesh and bones, maggots, whatever, right? So you also outwardly appear righteous like a whitewashed tomb, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Hypocrisy, the Greek word, um, has this idea of stage actor. And back then, if you know about stage acting back then, do you know what they used? They used a mask. So this word hypocrisy um, has this idea of mask. You have the mask, but then you have the real person underneath. The mask that shows something on the outside, and then something else is different on the inside and lawlessness. As um, to give you an idea of what's happening here when Jesus is saying these things, it would, if you were a Jew, not to mention a Jewish leader, put yourselves in, in their shoes for a second here. This would be the absolute worst nightmare for you to realize that you were unclean, that you were a hypocrite, and that you were lawless. If you were a Jew at that time, and you realized these things about you, this would be your absolute worst nightmare. It'd be like a world-class athlete suddenly coming to the realization that, you know, he or she's like lazy and unskilled and out of shape. If you're a world-class athlete, if you realize that you were out of shape and unskilled, what would it do to you, right? And this is what was happening with the Jewish leaders. They prided themselves on being clean, actually, on being pure. The opposite of these things, the opposite of being a hypocrite is being pure. They prided themselves on being pure, ceremonially pure. They prided themselves on being lawful, not lawless. That was their very identity. It's what gave them meaning, do you understand? If you were a Jew, this is what gave you meaning. This is what gave you joy, to be ceremonially clean and lawful. In their minds, if you were a Jew in your minds, it's what would set you apart. It would, it's what makes you special. But we still have those things today, don't we? The things that we run to to make ourselves special the things that we run to to make ourselves feel different from others. This is what's special about me, right? We have these things in our minds and we run to those things. We devote our life to those things. As a Christian myself, um, I should say, you know, I have already admitted that, that, you know, I've been guilty of hypocrisy in my own life. And I should also say that throughout history, the church has done some good things. Okay? They've done good things like introduce the idea of caring for the poor and actually doing it. They've done things like invent hospitals. Did you know that? Christians basically invented hospitals. Christians, churches have invented universities. Again, these institutions of higher learning were invented by the church, by Christians. But sadly, there have also been times where the church has done some very evil things. You just got to admit it. We can't deny that. For example, charging, you know, monetary payment to receive forgiveness. You want forgiveness? Pay me something and I'll give it to you. So evil. So corrupt. Or another example, using political and military means to carry out very unchristian like objectives on the name of Christ. All in the name of Christ. We just add, we just, you know, slap the name of Jesus on whatever objective, political or military that we have, and then we say, this is for Jesus, when actually it's not. It's for you. It's for your political ideology. It's for um, to establish your own, you know, status in your society, um, either politically or economically, whatever right? The church is guilty of these things. Unfortunately, there is hypocrisy in the church, so we need to be clear on that. So then we've answered, is there hypocrisy? The question is why? Why do we have hypocrisy in our church? And we're going to go over four reasons Um, Of course, there's probably more reasons, but these are the four of the major reasons. Reason number one, one of the reasons why there's hypocrisy in the church is because the church is made of us, of people. (laughs) One of the reasons why the church is full of hypocrisy is because the church is full of people. Um, I'm not trying to be harsh, but truth be told, where you have people, right, you'll also have hypocrisy right? And this isn't uh, just limited to Christians. I mean, let's be honest, let's talk about people in general for a second here. People of any race, any creed, any class, any time a person does something that goes against their own beliefs, that is defined in the English language with the word hypocrisy. So there are many times people who do not identify as Christians will do things that um, quite frankly, are very hypocritical. I mean, just look at our politicians, right? Uh, Look at, uh, and not just our politicians, look at the politicians of any country in any point in history. Um, It doesn't matter what's your creed, your color, your race, your beliefs, everybody, is guilty of hypocrisy. And it doesn't have to be some grand ideological belief either like on the you know political, national, international scale you know, of hypocrisy. It can also be hypocrisy on a very day-to-day level, right? Um, for example, we all say that we wish we could be healthier. We all have the knowledge on how to get there. We should not eat certain foods, right? And we all have the knowledge That certain exercises will help us and we should do those things. And yet, we still eat the wrong foods in the wrong portions and we don't exercise. We preach one thing, but we practice another. Um, That's, you know, something that (laughs) my kids pointed out with me. I tell them, you know, eat your vegetables. You gotta, you know, be strong and build muscles and strong bones and grow up, whatever. Um, and you know, don't eat too much of this. Don't eat too, you know, all this sugary cereal in the morning. You know, I say this stuff, right? And um, you know, I remember one time I was eating a steak. If you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm not just a, a meat eater. I'm a, I'm a meat lover, right? I, I love eating meat, and uh, back when I was younger um, and actually did exercise and you know, did all this athletic you know, uh, um, activity, I could afford to eat a steak and not trim the fat. I could just eat that because my body literally just burned it right up. And I love just the taste right, of that, that marbling and all that. Well, now as I get older... My body, the, the, the furnace inside, metabolism has slowed down to a slow crawl, right? And so you take that piece of fi- fat, and you, if you eat and swallow it, I mean, it just sits there, right? For like, probably into next year or so, right? It, it's just a solid mass of white, you know, coagulated fat, and it just sits there, and it's not, it's not going anywhere, <laughs> right? And so one day, you know, I'm eating my steak, and, you know, my kids, they look at me and go, Daddy? You're not going to eat that. And Christy's like, honey, you can't eat that. And of course, that gets all the other kids riled up. Oh, yeah, mommy says you can't eat it. Don't eat it. Oh, man, it's just. Uh. And they highlighted to me what a hypocrite I was. So you see, I'm sure you guys can all relate, right? At, even on the day-to-day level, there are things that we do that are so hugely hypocritical. Another um, universal day-to-day example, You know, many people will say that helping and serving others is, is a valuable you know, thing to, to aspire to, right? We all wanna be helpful and known as like, leave the world a better place, right? But when people are approached by charities, when they're actually approached by a charity and they actually have the opportunity to give you know, money or to give time and serve, all of a sudden, All the excuses come out of the barrel, right? Um, Oh, I don't have enough money, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't have enough time to help it, I'm sorry. But then, strangely, when it comes to doing fun or relaxing activities, or when it comes to buying something for ourselves, all of a sudden, we make the time, right? All of a sudden, the time that you didn't have for this, you have time for, for this, you know, play games or go out or... Hang out with my buddies. I have time for that. Oh, give money to this charity, to this, you know, the Boys Girls Club or whatever, this kid who's coming by your door. Oh, you know, can you help me with my college scholarship? I don't know if it's true or not, but let's just assume it is. Oh, sorry, man, I I don't have the money. But then as soon as, you know, something that you've been wanting, you know, goes up on Amazon Prime Day or something, you're there. You're all over it. I do this too. We're all guilty of hypocrisy. So whether you self-identify as a Democrat, as a Republican, as heterosexual, as homosexual, or anything else in between, uh, as Mormon, Muslim, Christian, or atheist, it doesn't matter. Every person is guilty of hypocrisy in some way. And if you're not sure about that, um, just do what I do. Go ask your... Spouse, so go ask your siblings. And I'm sure they can tell you um, if you've been a hypocrite or not. But for Christianity, some for some reason it gets more media attention when there's hypocrisy in the church. It's my belief that a big reason for that, even though everybody's a hypocrite, right? But when the Christians commit hypocrisy, it's like a big media event, right? Um, It gets thrown up on Instagram, on YouTube, viral video, right? Look at this self-identifying Christian acting like a total jerk. It's my belief that a big reason why we garner so much more attention than anybody else is largely self-inflicted. It's because we're so arrogant and we're so oftentimes so condescending towards other people. Self-righteous. Jesus, this is not just my opinion. Jesus talks about this. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Thank you, William. Uh, Let's all read that together. Ready? Why... Jesus' words, not mine. We Christians have a bad habit of looking down on other people's flaws and forgetting that we, too, have our own flaws. So busy looking and pointing out at other people's flaws, forgetting that we have this giant two-by-four sticking out of our head. Look at that speck in your eye. Well, oh, look at the log in your eye, brother. Right? to make matters worse, when we're confronted with our own hypocrisy, what do we do? Instead of admit it, we deny it. We rationalize. We try to make explanations. People hate this. You hate this. I hate this, right? When we see someone in denial, it just makes us look even harder for opportunities to show them up, right? And so this is why when Christians commit hypocrisy, this is a big reason why it gets so much media attention because they're just waiting because we cause that in, a large, in large part. I'm not saying all of it, but we can do something to decrease that by what? Hey, when you're confronted with your own hypocrisy, just don't deny it. Just admit it. Just admit it. Jesus says you're a hypocrite. Just admit it. It's okay. Admit it. That's the first step. It's not the last step, but it's the first step. Reason number two. Why is there hypocrisy in the church? Because not everyone who goes to church is actually a Christian. Next passage. Matthew 7. Okay. uh, Read this, guys. Not everyone... On that day, just uh, go ahead and leave that up there, William. Thank you. Have you guys ever read this passage before? This might be new for some of us. That's okay, that's why I'm putting it up here. But it's there. Jesus says this. This is an astounding thing that Jesus is saying. He's saying, not everyone who comes to me, this is Jesus' words, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, which means master, master, my master, not everyone who comes to me and says, master, is actually gonna enter the kingdom of heaven. How many times do we come here and we sing the songs that are projected up on the wall and in that song the lyric says lord lord Not everyone who says lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven Jesus words But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven On that day many will say to me many not just a few Jesus saying many Well, come to me, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons, again, in your name? Did did we not do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ultimately, this is talking about Judgment Day. When Jesus returns, there are going to be people Who come to him saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I do all these things in your name? Didn't I, like, give money in your name? Didn't I serve in your name? Didn't I, like, sing these songs in my most beautiful voice in your name? And many, not just some, many will hear Jesus say, away from me. I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. Wow. Wow. Not everyone who is in church is an actual Christian. Right? That's what the conclusion we can draw from this. In fact, there are people who think they're Christians, but they're actually not. And who can determine that? That's Jesus. I can't determine that. Your friends can't determine that. Your parents can't determine that. It's between you and God. Not everyone who is in church, or who goes to church, is actually a Christian. So, then, logically, it follows that if you're not a Christian, then you're not gonna act like a Christian. But then to the outsiders, to the outside watching world, how do they know? They don't know, right? They don't know who's a Christian, who's not. They just know that you go to church, they know that if you do a poll, you fill in the bubble that says Christian, you say you're a Christian. And so, it looks like there's a lot of Christians who are not living as Christians. That's a big reason why there's a lot of hypocrisy in the church. It's actually not hypocrisy. It's just, you know, it looks like Christians, <laughs> people who say they or think they're Christians, but they're actually not living as Christians. Now, this passage is a big one, and um can do a whole other sermon on it, actually, all of these. But um, I'll just say this, and we'll move on. Uh, so... If you do all these things, but you still don't know, well, how do you know? Well, those three things are all like showy, dramatic things. Preaching, you know, pro- prophesying, and is prophesying. You know, we have some people today who go around and say they say they have the gift of prophecy. I'm not here to say one way or the other. They do, We we actually did a sermon on spiritual gifts, so you can look that up. Um, it was actually me who preached, so you can look that up and and you can see kind of the difference. We it talks about doing miracles in your name, healing in your name, whatever. Those are all showy, dramatic things. What God is saying, worry about the main thing. The main thing is the greatest commandment love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength. Start there. Love me with the entirety of your life. Don't hold anything back from me. Love me with all my heart, all my strength, all my soul. It's in Deuteronomy. uh, Commandments. It's here. Uh, you know, Jesus talks about it when he was asked, "What is the greatest first and greatest commandment?" That's what you need to focus on, not on these showy, dramatic things. That is not the goal. That is not the end. Okay. So, just so you kind of have an idea of what is Jesus talking about in that passage. So that's reason number two. Reason number three for hypocrisy in the church: the church is a hospital. The church is a hospital. Where do we get this? Look at Luke 5. Let's read that together. Ready? Go. And Jesus. Hmm. Jesus is basically using a metaphor here. And the metaphor is this everybody has a sickness. Your sickness is your sin. Your sickness is your hypocrisy. Jesus is the doctor for the sickness. And everyone has this sickness, as we talked about earlier, right? We all have this sickness of hypocrisy and sin. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you think you're well, if you think, if you're living under the illusion that your life is fine, then you're going to refuse to admit that you're sick. And so then you're never gonna go see a doctor, right? Because you, in your mind, you think you're fine. So you're just gonna remain sick because you are still sick, and then you're gonna suffer the consequences, whatever those may be, of continually being sick and not treating it. Why, because you didn't admit it. You don't think you're sick. You don't need a doctor, right? I think all of us can probably relate to that. I don't need a, I don't wanna go to the doctor. It's painful. I don't wanna get bad news, right? We just want to live in our bubble of good news. You have any good news to, you know, bad news to tell me? Um, I don't want to hear it, even if it's true. (laughs) Even if in the long run it could help me. I don't want to hear it. Jesus was saying that the reason that he would sit and talk with the people, you know, Jesus was known for associating with sinners, with imperfect people. And so this caused a lot of trouble for him because the, the leaders, they like, why would you hang out with those lowly people? And so when Jesus was criticized for doing this, this was his answer. I came for the sick. And if you think you're healthy, I didn't come for you. I came to call the sick, the sinners, to repentance, not the healthy, the righteous, the people who think their life is fine, fine and okay. I'm all right. I don't need help. Jesus came for sinners who admit that they need help. Luke 5. I wonder, do you feel like you have nothing to repent about? I know that sometimes when I get on my high horse, with my kids, with my friends, with my parents, with my siblings. Uh, I apologize, Anna, (laughs) for all my hypocrisy, my church. I have nothing to repent about. I'm fine. It's you who has the problem. You have the problem, not me. You know what you're saying? You're saying, I'm healthy and I'm righteous, and I don't need Jesus. Jesus did not come for that. The church is full of people who have been called to repentance and to salvation because they know, they they stopped living in denial, and they knew that they were not fine. They knew that they were sick. They knew that they needed someone to save them. And so they went to the great physician, Jesus Christ. The church is full of people who follow Jesus because they're no longer in denial. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why the church is full of hip, hypocrisy. Because we're the ones who admit that we are hypocrites. It's like saying there are hungry people in restaurants. Duh. It's like saying there are sick people in hospitals. Duh. Here's something interesting. If the church of Jesus is for imperfect people, then the real question is why isn't everyone in church? Get what I'm saying? If the church of Jesus is for imperfect people, people who have flaws, then why isn't everyone in church? Is there someone out there who says they have no flaws? A big part of this is because they don't know who Jesus is and they don't know what Jesus offers. The only knowledge that they have of Jesus is maybe from the news media. So it's up to you, it's up to me to give them a proper picture, a portrait of Jesus. And for that to happen, we have to first admit our hypocrisy and admit our need for a doctor. Now, some people say that one of the reasons they can't believe in Christianity is because the church is filled with hypocrites. Okay, I, I can kind of understand the, the intent, um, the spirit behind that. It's like, I don't want to be around hypocrites. But by that same flawed logic, would you not go to a gym because the gym is full of out-of-shape people? Right? Right? Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not going to go to church because it's full of imperfect people. Well, then I guess you shouldn't go to the gym because the gym is full of imperfect, out-of-shape, obese people too. Why do you go? To improve, to get better, to get stronger. And that's what we're doing here in church. We're not perfect. We're in process. And sometimes in that process, we have victory. And sometimes in that process, we have defeat. And if the world is going to only pick and choose those things and look at us and say, look, you failed. then again, like I said earlier, just admit it. Yes, we have. And that's why we need Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God for your mercy, Jesus. Amen? The church is not only hospital. The church is a rehab center. A rehab center for former sin addicts. Let me say that again. The church is a rehab center for sin addicts. You guys know what a rehab center is, right? Drug addicts, alcohol addicts, whatever addicts, sex addicts, they go to rehab center. Well, we're sin addicts. Where do we go to get rehabilitated? We go to church. And I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about the building necessarily. I'm talking about the community of believers. That's the church. So that brings us to our final reason for today. There's hypocrisy in the church because we have a choice. We have a choice to obey God or not. Sometimes we obey. Unfortunately, sometimes we choose not to, right? Admit it. But are we just supposed to admit it and then leave it at that? I admitted it. All right, I'm good. I can, you know, do it again. Is repentance merely admitting our wrongs or is it also going to God and fighting for change in our hearts, begging God for change in our hearts? For the answer to that, our last passage for today, James 4. Go ahead and read that. What causes quarrels? You ask? We'll pause there. You have a choice. You have a choice to, as it says in verse 7, what? Submit yourself to God and resist the devil, or the vice versa, which would be what? You have the choice to also submit yourself to the devil, resisting God. The fact that there's a command here indicates that there's a choice. If there were no choice, if you were like a robot who are just programmed to do what's right, there would be no need for the Bible to exhort us to do the right thing. We have a choice. And this is why, as rehabilitating former sin addicts in process, some of us still thinking that we're we're okay. (laughs) This is why there's still hypocrisy in the church. It's not a good thing or bad thing. It's just what it is. That's what the church is. It's a hospital. It's a rehab center, among other things. So I want to wrap up here. Shifting gears. I want to give you some good news. Sound good? <laughs> We've talked about hypocrisy in the world, we've talked about hypocrisy in the church. We live in a world where we're faced with the reality of hypocrisy all around us, this sin in us. But then we want to just escape and ignore it. We don't want to hear it. So we escape into self-denial. We escape into self-medication with entertainment and with sex and with food and with, you know, um, relationships, whatever it is, entertain. We try our best to just forget and ignore our sin when actually the best thing that could happen to us is to wake up to our reality and address it. And only Jesus has the ability and the truth to address sin in such a way as to properly rehabilitate and cleanse you for the sinless world, the Father's house. Only Jesus So as we look at the final verses here, be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and let your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Now that sounds so weird, right? (laughs) Let your laughter, so you're happy, let it be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to gloom. That sounds like more bad news. I'm reading it, it sounds like bad news to me, right? but let's take a step back and see what's going on. I'm laughing because I think I'm okay. And then I hear that I have this big problem. And so there's mourning. I have joy because, you know, I have joy in different things in my life that I put in my life to distract myself from like the pain in my life the broken relationships in my life, the things that I'm unhappy with. I distract myself with the other things that do give me some kind of temporary joy at least. But then when I come to the reality, there's, there's gloom. The reality, the truth of the sin in me. But here's the good news. When we humbly come before God in all of our truthfulness and honesty, just say, just admit it. What does the God of the universe promise? Promise he'll do to you. Read it. He will what? Don't be shy. He will what? Do you know what that means? It means he will praise you and lift you. Are you meaning to tell me the God of the universe will take puny me and not just love me, but he's going to then glorify me and exalt me? The joy that the the God of the universe wants to give to you, as you come before Him in Christ, as you approach Jesus humbly, saying, "Jesus, you're the doctor. Heal me. I'm a sin addict." When you understand that He will take you and lift you up, all the other things that used to give you laughter, all the other things that used to give the joy, they just fall away. That's what that means. And you're going to have the exaltation of God shining upon your face. And as we do this, as you, I I want to exhort us now. Every day, let's make you and I a daily choice to draw near to Jesus. Earlier in the passage in James, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Think about that. Draw near to, that's in verse eight, and he will draw near to you. As you draw near to Jesus on a daily basis, you make that intentional daily decision, you and I, we can help decrease the hypocrisy little by little, day by day, not only in the church, but in the world. How beautiful is that, amen? That's what Jesus can do if we just admit it and let him. So let's take some time now Let's pray. I just want to invite you to close your eyes as our praise team comes up. The first step I said was to admit it, but that's just the first step. As God tells us in James chapter 4, Resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Do you feel like the devil has a hold on your life? Like, do you feel like you get this temptation that you just can't shake? God promises you, resist and the devil will flee. Submit yourself to God. Bring yourself to the foot of the cross every morning and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you help me resist the devil so that he can flee from me and so that I can embrace you more? James 4, verse 8, draw near to God. Take time right now, draw near to him in your heart. Say, God, I want to draw near to you. I want to experience this promise that if I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. Would you wash my hands? Purify my heart. Help me to no longer be double-minded. Make this your prayer. And as you humble yourself before Your Lord Jesus, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will free you more and more day by day from the prison of your own hypocrisy. Thank you, Jesus.